We're going to continue to, to uh, study in the, in the book, uh, study in first, Second Kings, actually, on the life of Elijah. I'm excited about a Resurrection Sunday this coming Sunday and the service that we have. It was a wonderful uh, week last week and in, in, uh, in time in God's house, Palm Sunday as well. I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 1. We're getting close to the end of this study. I'm not saying we're finishing. We're not certainly not finishing tonight, but we're getting close. I want you to look at 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to read the first six verses. 2 Kings 2, 1 through 6. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into, into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elisha said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold thy peace. Hold ye your peace. And Elisha said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou? that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elisha said unto to him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. So it's a wonderful uh, story. It's a wonderful account in the Bible. We're going to stop reading uh, right there for tonight. But it's getting close to, very close to the end of Elijah's earthly life, his time on this earth. And evidently the Lord had made it known to Elijah where to go and what he was going to do. Elijah knew what was about to happen. Maybe not every detail, but he knew he was getting ready to meet the Lord. Okay, And evidently the prophets that were there, there was this school of prophets uh, in Jericho and in Bethel, we know of at least in those places, they knew what was going, going on. The Lord had revealed it, that this was about to take place in a very short time. They said today. I don't know if it was necessarily uh, that day or, you know, very soon. Let's put it that way. But there was this, just want to touch on this real quickly. There was or there were these schools of the prophets. And I think Elijah had his hand on these. I think he had his hand in ministering in these schools. There were faithful believers that we've talked about in this day. Elijah was the man of God for the hour. There's no doubt about it. And when he's going to be caught up to heaven in, in a few moments, Elisha is going to, that mantle is going to fall upon him and he will be God's man for that hour. But there were other faithful men, the school of prophets. Some have even said in some of the books I've read, not, don't really know, but it's just interesting that maybe Elijah, Ezekiel, and some of these others actually came up through these schools. But regardless, uh, Elijah, there's a couple of things I want to point out about his character, the godly traits that are in his life. 
and one is humility. And uh, I think that that's brought out in the sense that he is getting ready to, and he knows what's about to happen. Others know what's about to happen. Uh, he knows he's about to leave and depart this earthly life in, in, in a fashion that no one else ever has. And he's really, you almost get the picture, he just wants to be alone. You know what I mean? The school of the prophets, uh, you know, he, he's, he's not wanting uh, to line the hillsides with, with fans. He's not wanting uh, spectators to be there. Even Elisha, who he loved and they loved each other, uh, he was like, Terry, here, wait here. That could have been a test for Elisha to see if he was going to continue on with the man of God, which I think that's certainly a part of it. But still, we see there's no boasting or bragging or come see what, what the Lord's going to do for me. Uh, he's getting ready to be caught up in a, in a fiery chariot that's going to, without dying, the chariot's going to come from heaven. We'll, re, re, we'll study this in the weeks to come. Basically scoop him up and carry him right back off to heaven. Elijah is, is one of the two candlesticks that stand before the Lord. He's one of the two that's going to come back in the midway point, point of the seven-year tribulation. The two witnesses that are going to come back. I believe that, and I believe there's certainly some scriptures to back that up. But he's, he, we see that he's humble. We see that he's not drawing a lot of attention to himself. Okay, And I think that is a, a very godly trait because it's, it's almost a testament to his, the greatness of the man of God he was. I know God is great, but you understand the greatness of the man is, can be seen as humility in this life. The humility before the Lord. Because I think anyone less great, anyone less than Elijah would have probably drawn attention to themselves. So would have drawn attention to the fact that look what the Lord's doing for me, you know, and, and made some what to do about it and let the secret out, basically. But he, he just wants to go on by himself, and he tells Elisha three times. Now, remember, in, in previous times, he had anointed Elisha to be the prophet in his stead or in his place when he would depart. And so they, they, these two men have been together probably for years. And, uh, but we see Elijah not desiring to draw attention to himself. And I think it's almost a rebuke to us, you know, uh, to others in, in our day and through the church that we're kind of quick sometimes to draw attention to the anything and everything we do for the Lord. You know what I mean? We want people to see what I'm doing for God. And I think the real humility is going to be to let that be between you and God. And if God gets you to testify about something, that's one thing. But someone that's always trying to draw attention to what he or she is doing for the Lord, it's not, uh, it's not humility. It's not a godly uh, humility before the Lord. And it might be one reason why we're not used maybe more than we desire to be used because of a lack of humility that we would take the glory and the credit as opposed to the Lord. I am not saying there's anything wrong with saying, hey, I got to share the gospel with somebody. There's times that God uses us to testify, but kind of you kind of know when uh, before the Lord, when you maybe crossed over a line and you're making it more about yourself than about the Lord. And we're so quick to want everybody to see 
what we're doing for the Lord. I thank God for wonderful, uh, humble servants of the Lord that we have here. But it's something that we need to, to be careful of, okay, to be careful of. And uh, I want to read a scripture here just along those lines. So keep your spot marked in 2 Kings. And turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 22. So here's the Apostle Paul, and he's sharing in prison, and he's sharing his testimony. And in Acts 22:11, well, let's pick up in verse 10. So he's given his testimony. It's recounted a few times in the book of Acts. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? He's talking about on the, on the road to uh, Damascus when the Lord met him. And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go to Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all these things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. I think it's interesting. There was the, We're talking about humility, right? Elijah. We're doing this whole study on Elijah. But really, when you look and study the life of any man or woman of God, you end up focusing more on, and we should, the goodness of God, the power of God, right? The reason that Elijah was great is because he was little in his own eyes. The reason King Saul had the kingdom ripped from his hands and his descendants' hands was because he got lifted up in himself. God did use him early on, right? And so here, Paul says he couldn't see for the glory of that light. I read a quote here by F.B. Meyer. I thought it was very good. Where he says, uh, would, would that we could live so perfectly facing the sun that we might never see the dark shadow of self. We're so like Paul couldn't see himself or anybody around him. When the Lord met him, <clears throat> he said, I couldn't see for the glory of that light. And that glory of that light is Jesus Christ. It's the Lord. And so it becomes... Uh, nothing about us when we walk with the Lord and when we're used by the Lord. Uh, I know the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due. I understand that, but, but still the honor is due unto the Lord. I think sometimes the reason people are not used to the extent they want to be used by the Lord is because they're going to, uh, he knows that there's not that humility as of yet, can be there, okay, uh, and they're going to steal the glory or attempt to steal the glory from the Lord. There need, we need to come to an end of ourselves. We need to be free from ourselves. That is where the cross in the life of the believer comes in. Amen. And so I want to read a quote. You've heard of Robert McShane, Robert Murray McShane. And I want to read a couple of quotes he had on humility here. And I believe we see these traits in Elijah's life. You see them in Moses' life. You see them in the men and women of God that the Lord has used so greatly. He says, oh, for true, unfeigned humility, cried McShane. I do not know half of my pride. And so he says it's a day of much danger, and he wants to be delivered from flattery and pride. He says, for every look at self, take ten looks at Christ. So when we're saying, look how God's using me, look how I'm preaching, look how I'm teaching, look at the revelation I have. You know, we read the scripture to the music for those that, that were here from 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul says, where the Lord says uh, to Paul, 
you know, that my grace is sufficient for thee. He gave him a thorn in the flesh, lest he be lifted up in pride because of the abundance of revelation that he had from God. It was a good thing. He had an abundance of revelation from God, but he had it, and everybody else didn't have it. There could have been the temptation to get lifted up in self and say, look what God has given to me, show me how he's using me. He hadn't shown this to you and you. He's done it for me. And our eyes can get it upon ourselves. And God, in his goodness, sent a thorn in his flesh to buffet him, to keep him humble, to keep him always dependent upon the grace of God and not upon the abundance of revelation or not upon uh, anything special that God had done for him. The dependency is to be upon the Lord and upon his grace. Okay, so I know that, that we understand these things, but I thought that was good. McShane said, for every look at self, take t- 10 looks at Christ. And so we'll keep on in, the, in our, our thoughts about Elijah as he's moving from city to city. The Lord moved him from Gilgal to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, from Jericho to the Jordan River and across the Jordan River where the chariot of fire picked him up. And all along the way, we see that he's not, he's not afraid. He's getting ready, and he knows that he's getting ready with, literally within just a matter of moments. I don't know if it's, like I said, that day, hours. But very, very soon, he's getting ready to be, and he knows he's going to be in the presence of this uncreated God. He's going to be standing face-to-face with unveiled face in the presence of the Lord. And he's not afraid. He's not afraid of dying. He's not afraid of going to be with the Lord at all. And so he's, he, he spends his time going from this school of the prophets to that school of the prophets to where the Lord's going to take him. Okay? And so there was nothing, I guess the point is there was nothing real un, unusual or out of the ordinary about he, how he spent the last days of his life on earth. He knew he was about to go. And there's something that can be uh, learned from that as well, that when we live uprightly before the Lord as a habit, okay, this is for all of us. When we live in such a way before the Lord, now none of us is perfect, I understand that, but every moment, every day, we can, we can uh, come before the Lord and be in his will, okay? We can be prayed up, we can be in the presence of the Lord, we can be walking with Christ every day as we should. If we've sinned, we repent, and we get back in that walk, okay? But a good man or a good woman or a righteous person ought to live in such a way that we don't have to make, in, to make any special preparations to meet the Lord. Does that make sense? It's like if you know you're living in sin, you know you're backslidden, you know you've got things in your life that aren't right, you really don't want the Lord to come back now. You've got some things in your life you need to get right. And we ought to live in such a way that, that we don't have to make, any, to make any special preparations. Okay, in 24 hours, I'm going to be seeing the Lord. You know, or tonight, I'm going to be seeing the Lord. We ought to live in such a way that we're, uh, we basically go on doing what he's called us to do. You know what I'm saying? If you knew that you were getting ready to die and you knew it, and God showed you, and there was no question about it, we should be ready. I think we should live ready the best we can by faith in the Lord. I think we should live ready, not harboring sin in our heart, not having bitterness in our heart, 
not having a bunch of unfinished business that we knew God had for a long time called us to, not having a bunch of sinful habits that we're aware of that God has showed us, and we think, i got time to straighten that out later. Live in such a way that we don't have to have major preparations right at the end of our life. Keep doing what he's called us to do. Somebody once asked John Wesley that question, and they said, what would you do if you knew that you would have to die within three days? His reply was this, I should do just the work which I've already planned to do, ministering in one place, meeting my preachers in another, lodging in yet another, till the moment came that I was called to yield my spirit back to the one who gave it. So I think that's a good way to live. I think we see that with Elijah. We don't see him uh, like panicking. We don't see him saying, okay, I got 10 things God had already told me to do and I hadn't finished them yet. I need to go get those done real quick. God, give me a little more time. He was just meant, he, he spent time conversing with his friend Elisha. He spent time visiting the school of prophets in, in uh, Bethel and in Jericho. And you don't see a lot of panic or, or uh, anxiousness about it. Okay, so he's, he keeps doing what he's called to do. And I believe it's important that we would live that way. I honestly believe, Dee talks about this, we talk about it sometimes, that, um, you know, we talk about revivals, and we talk about, let's say for a church, church is going to have a revival. Uh, I've been parts of those uh, over the years, and, and it's wonderful, there's nothing wrong with that, but I do believe the individual Christian could, and it's possible for the individual believer to live in a state of revival. I don't think we have to get to our candles just a little flicker. Oh, well, in September, we're having a revival. You know what I'm saying? Or we're having a special speaker come in. God can use those things. I'm thankful for him. He's used those things in my life. I'm saying, regardless of that, the individual believer can live in such a way that we are personally experiencing revival all the time. His his manna that he feeds us with every morning is fresh. I'm in the will of God. I know I'm in the will of God. He's showing me things. He's teaching me things. He's using me. He's bringing me on. He's uh, bringing me out of sinful habits that I thought I'd never be brought out of. I think we can live in such a way before the Lord to where there's doesn't just have to get down a little flicker and we get so-and-so preacher that might be a wonderful preacher to come in and we have this special time. I'm not against that. I'm simply saying I believe we can live in such a way that we're in revival, that we're ready to meet the Lord, that we're filled with the joy of the Lord, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, not on empty, you know, that we can be walking with God like that. And you say, well, well, Lord, if we knew we were going to die in three days and say, oh, God, give me, give me a little more time. I haven't witnessed to my brother yet. I haven't witnessed to my uncle yet. I haven't witnessed to my coworkers yet. Well, you know what? We should have already been doing that. How long have you been saved? How long have you had that coworker? You understand what I'm saying? How long have you had that brother uh, that you haven't shared the gospel with? We ought to live with, without unfinished business. We ought, to, we ought to live, and I believe it is possible to live that way. Paul said, I finished my course. What, what did God show him? God showed him. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. So the first time he went to the Roman prison, he... he was waiting his trial. We talked about that when we studied Philippians. He didn't die 
in the prison the first time, the Roman prison. He got out and went and ministered some more. The second time he was in there, the Lord showed him, this is it. Your life's going to end here. But we don't see him panicking. He had people come to him. He taught. He ministered to people. He had visitors come and go. He had his own like little apartment in the prison where he had visitors. It was a lot like Elijah. He just kept ministering. There wasn't some big change that had to take place in his life. He said, I finished my course. I fought a good fight. And he knew that. He didn't never said he was perfect. He did say, I finished what God gave me to do on this earth. The time of my departure is at hand. Peter said, I, knowing this in Second Peter, that I should soon put off this earthly tabernacle. He knew when he was about to die. He was crucified for the Lord as well. And so but we see them continuing to minister to the saints and do the work of God. That's just a wonderful way to live. I thank the Lord that at the last moment any of us can repent and turn and, and you know, from sins and things like that. But it's much better just live in such a way consistently day by day where, uh, where we don't have to make a lot of changes right at the end. Amen? And I, I, I see that in Elijah's life. He just kept moving on from place to place. And uh, one thing I want to point out as well, one more thing we're going to touch on just for a minute here tonight, is there was this relationship between Elijah and Elisha. We don't read a whole lot about like their conversations and things like that, but I think it's evident from their lives that there was a love for one another. And sometimes when you think, uh, or when a, when a person may think about a, a man like Elijah, I think about him being a uh, very strong, you know, very adamant, very uh, uncompromising on the things of God and so forth. We see that. I mean, he's calling down fire from heaven, right? He's, he's challenging a whole nation and a king more than once. And then the king's son who becomes king face to face and he's not backing down. There's a strength and there's a, a holiness about him. And we might think someone like that is hard to love or be close to, but I would totally disagree I think that that's going to be the most tender person, the most compassionate person, uh, and they're not going to be uh, hard-hearted and cold and callous towards other people. If they're close to the Lord, they're going to be close. They're going to, have, they're going to be filled with the love of Christ as well. So again, we don't read a lot about that, and I don't want to read too much into it, but I do see that Elisha was told three times, by Elijah, his master, so to speak, stay here, just stay here. And he says, as thy soul live and as lives and the Lord lives, I'm not going to leave you. And again, it could have been a test for Elisha. could have been uh, that God had shown him something about the importance of him being there when Elijah was taken up. And we read more about that later. But still, I think there was a relationship there that was... Uh, was holy and what it should be. David was a mighty warrior, right? Mighty warrior. He killed how many Philistines and he killed Goliath and so forth. And yet he, he and Jonathan had this relationship in the Lord. I'm simply making a point that don't we ought not think that because someone is holy and strong and uncompromising in Christ that they are uh, not going to be compassionate and tender. Okay? Because, because the Lord's going to do that in their life. He's going to make them that, right? We're representing him. 
And that is how Jesus is. The children weren't afraid to come up to Jesus. Amen. People weren't afraid of Jesus and kept their distance and say, he's a holy man of God. We can't get within 50 feet of him. They came up to him. Children came up to him. Mothers came up bringing their children saying, you know, pray for my child and so forth. And so we see that in Christ. And I think we see it in Elijah. And so he's, uh, Elisha says, as, as the Lord liveth, as thy, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And the last thing I really want to uh, talk about and spend a few moments on in this lesson is how in every little moment of this, the Lord was very, he was perceived as being very near. Okay, in other words, uh, sometimes we might go through our day and we don't have a real consciousness wow, consciousness of the Lord's presence. Amen. Y'all okay, girl? Uh, we don't have a real consciousness of the Lord's presence. We're not aware. But I think Elijah, Elijah says that the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Then Elijah says, the Lord has sent me to uh, Gilgal. Then he says, the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And the prophets, even the sons of the prophets says, don't you know the Lord is going to take your master from you, right? And Elisha says, as the Lord liveth. In other words, he was the, the Lord was the center of all of them and all their thoughts. It wasn't just something that was happening to them. It was, it was something that was God was right there and very present. And I do believe, I know we can, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. It's the Spirit of Christ that lives in us. I believe we can live in such a way that uh, we are aware of God's presence. You say, well, I'm at church, I feel that. When I go to work or get in my car and drive off, I don't feel that. Well, we, we can. It's not a feeling so much. It's a consciousness, conscious awareness, I guess you would say, of the Lord's presence in everything. When you go off to work, and you're around people. Some may know the Lord, most probably don't. And you're around strangers, whatever. You're walking in the grocery store. I do believe that we can have a very uh, realness, I guess, of the Lord's presence. That we're in his will, even here in the grocery store. I know God's with me. I'm not out of his will. You know, we need groceries. I'm going to get groceries. Just wherever we are, to know that we are in the presence of God. And because Elijah lived in the presence of God, we see how the Lord used him. And there was not a fear. There wasn't a fear about dying, or not that he was going to die, or going up to heaven to be face-to-face -face with the Lord. There wasn't a fear about facing uh, Ahab or other, you know, his son or the prophets of Baal. There just wasn't a fear. There wasn't a fear about the drought and the famine. There wasn't a fear at any, any time because he was in the presence of God. And that is a wonderful way to live. The only fear that you and I should have is a holy, reverent fear of the Lord. That is the only fear that we should have. When you read the fruit of the Spirit, fear, fear is not one of them. When you read you know, the characteristics and traits and gifts of God that he gives to men, fear is not one of them. Fear is not from the Lord. A holy, reverent fear of God that keeps us from sin. A holy fear of God that keeps us in obedience to Christ and desiring to honor the Lord and serve the Lord above all. 
That is healthy. That's wonderful to have. Coupled with love and humility and these other things. But just to have this fear about life, fear about what's going on in our country, fear about dying, fear about getting sick, um, that, that's not from the Lord. It's not from the Lord. And so he has, has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. When we stand in the presence of God, those fears are dispelled. Those fears are taken away. Peter was not afraid of walking on water when the Lord was right there with him, right? When he looked around at the, the, the waves and the storm and the water, he got afraid and he doubted and he began to sink. And I know that we know that story. Uh, also, when, another time when Jesus was sleeping in the boat and in the middle of the night and the disciples were rowing and the storm was so bad that these fishermen said, we're going to drown out here. Wake up, Lord. Don't you care that we perish? They were afraid. And he says, why did you doubt? Why, Oh, you of little faith. And so that fear can come upon us. Christ is the answer to that. We go to him. I'm simply saying our life should not be a life characterized by fear, fear of the unknown, fear of dying, fear of this new sickness, fear of this whatever. Uh, we need to have wisdom and God will guide us. But at the same time, we need, to, we need to trust the Lord. And it's only because Elijah lived in such a way. He even said that God before whom I stand continually, right? I stand in the presence of Jehovah continually. How can he not be afraid of Jezebel or not be afraid of the king or 850 prophets of the Baal and the groves? It's because he stood in the presence of God. So that has been a theme that's been repeated through all these studies. How could David not be afraid of Goliath? Depending on what translation of the height, of, you know, you get, uh, Goliath was anywhere from 10 to 12 feet tall. Go stand under a basketball goal. Okay, the rim's 10 feet. Goliath was 10 to 12 feet tall, right? His spear, just his spear that he chucked like I would throw this pin up here, you know, was, was like 20 pounds. And, you know, his shield and so forth. How could he not be afraid of Goliath? And in fact, he actually ran out towards Goliath. And he said, the Lord's going to deliver me into your hands. How? Because he had stood and lived in the presence of God. Saul obviously did not. David's brothers obviously did not. David's the one that went out there to fight Goliath. It's nothing special to pat, pat David on the back about other than his faith and trust in the Lord. And then we do honor that. We honor that because, <clears throat> because God can use someone like that. The glory goes to God but the man or the woman or the young person, we have to trust the Lord. And we have to live in his presence. You can live that way. And when you and I live that way, we're not going to fear what man, man can do unto us. Right? We're not going to fear because we're in the presence of the Lord. Amen. And he's so much greater. And so he says, the Lord has sent me. And he knew the Lord was with him. And he makes this, this travel. And... Uh, ends up crossing the Jordan River, River which we're going to read about more next week. But think about it, even if, you know, Jordan represents death. If you've done a study in the Bible, it represented death, okay? When, when the Israelites went from the wilderness, the promised land was, was on this side. They were in the wilderness. They could see it. It was over there. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. They had to cross Jordan before. 
they got there. There was no other way to the promised land but by crossing the Jordan River. It represents like death and, and then everything that comes out of that new life in Christ, so to speak. There's a dying there, a dying to self. And everything was new. And so he ends up crossing the Jordan River. And Elisha crosses with him. He parts the river, which we'll read next lesson. But he, there was no fear about any of that. And honestly, again, as Christians, we should have no fear of dying uh, because Christ is in us. He's given us eternal life. I'm not saying you are looking forward to, you know, the means of your death or something like that. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That ought to be true for all of us and not just for Paul. Okay? It ought to be true for everyone that's a believer. And so we ought to live in such a way that we're not scared to cross the Jordan River, so to speak, to be with the Lord. Live in such a way, first and only, to be born again and washed in the blood of Jesus and robed in his righteousness. That's the only way. But then even at that moment, as again, again, living in such a way that we're not ashamed if he were to call me home suddenly or call you home suddenly, there's not a long laundry list of things that we intended to do for God, should have done for God, and a long list of sins and compromises and worldliness that is unrepented of and that we're living in and indulging in, right? We don't want to be ashamed of his coming. I believe, again, that we can live in such a way that we're not. So Elijah stood in the presence of God, and uh, we'll read a couple more, two more quotes about Robert McShane. He says, Live near to God, and all things will appear little to you in comparison with eternal realities. You know, when, when, when we do get our eyes on our problem and circumstance. I've done it. Uh, I, I'm ashamed to say that I've done it. If we get our eyes on a problem, a financial problem, lack that's right in our face, uh, whatever it may be, our country, that's a big one for me right now. And I think for all of us that I'm, I'm looking and I'm just shaking my head. And when we look at the problem, it just gets magnified. I think about it, I think about it, I think about it, I think about it. But the Bible tells me whatsoever things are good, lovely, true, honest, pure, right? Think on these things. I'm to cast that care upon the Lord and leave it there. If I'm fretting about finances and this is huge, or I'm fretting about our country, and the problem just in my mind, in my estimation, is grown to where it's like a Goliath. It's like a 12-foot giant standing right over me. And God does not intend for it to be that way. He's letting, he's letting us go through these things and teaching us to trust. Come and cast it at the foot, at this altar, at the foot of the cross. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? What's the basis of that? Because he cares for us. We cast it upon the Lord. He is bigger. And we're able to go to God, live near to God, and all things will appear little to you in comparison with the eternal realities. Okay, now you might have to, and I'll say this, and I've done it, you might have to cast that same care upon the Lord a hundred times, a thousand times, but do it. If you start worrying again tomorrow about your children, are they following God? Are they walking with the Lord? Well, witness to them, talk to them, preach Christ to them. But then in prayer, you have to leave them, leave them with the Lord or you go out of your mind. You go insane and God doesn't want us to. 
okay? And so we have to cast those cares, and that's why I have to live near to the Lord. And the last quote I wanted to read from McShane, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Okay? So there again, we're talking about Elijah in the presence of God, whether he's in hiding out with a widow woman during the famine or by Brook Cherith and ravens are feeding him or confronting the nation of Israel and all those Baal worshipers or, or here walking along and getting ready to be caught up in a, a fiery chariot. He knows that he's in the presence of God. That makes all the difference. It should make, it's supposed to make the difference. Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. He doesn't just say your power's with me or something like that. He says, you're with me. Knowing that we're in the presence of God. Stay in the presence of God. Live in the presence of God. Okay? Stay in his presence. And he, he says, Christ is praying for me. If, if we were sitting right here and we said, let's get real quiet. And we could hear the Lord Jesus in that Sunday school room praying for you by name. And for situations you're going through. And for this church, we, 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 would, we would have such comfort, right? Well, doesn't the Bible say he is doing that? He ever lives to intercede for us. In one of his sermons on the doctrine of Christ, we talked about him being our advocate, intercessor, our mediator, our high priest. He prays on our behalf. He stands on our behalf as well before the Father. And so I just thank the Lord for that. Um, and that God would help us to live in that reality. Amen. So I'm going to close with this thought. Uh, is the Lord, is Christ that near and dear and real to us as he was to Elijah? Is he that, you, you just have to be honest, I'm not asking you to answer out loud. Is Christ that near and dear and real to us that we know that he's with us at all times. No matter what we face, he's with us and he's greater. Do we feel and discern that he's that near and real to us when we pray, when we worship, when we talk to others, when we live and when we die? Do we believe that he's with us like that? Because he is. He's promised to do that. When, when he met when he was ascended and met with his uh, disciples and he sends them on the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28, the very last phrase of the gospel, he tells them to go preach the gospel to all creatures and he says, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, which to the end of the age that means. He says, I'm with you always. And I just thank the Lord for that. We are living it in some precarious times and some trouble sometimes. And I'm very thankful for the Lord being that near and dear and real. And I want to pray that my faith would lay hold on that. Amen. I know that I can factually show us that from the scriptures. And in my heart of hearts, I know it. But to know it to where it actually is bringing me peace and comfort to where my faith lays hold on that. And I'm praying that for you, and I'm praying that for all of us. So these altars are open. Just encourage you to come for a moment. Live like Elijah in the sense that God is that real. You know that you're in his presence. You know that you're in his will. You don't have a bunch of instant uh, 
frantic preparations you'd have to make if you knew you were going to meet Christ in an hour, okay? We can live before the Lord with a clean heart, a clean conscience, at least now. If I sin tonight, then I need to repent tonight. We can be clean at all times, amen, as much as we're aware of from the Lord. So, Father, we just come before you tonight. And, Lord Jesus, God, I thank you that as you were about to call Elijah, you don't let everybody know like you did Elijah, that he was about to be in your presence in heaven in a matter of moments, Lord. But he didn't have to make a lot of sudden changes to his life to get things right with God. And Lord, I pray you'd help us as a people to live in such a way that we're walking uprightly before you. And also, Lord, give us the faith to believe you are that near and you are that much uh, with us, Lord God. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. You promised for your disciples, God, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Never. I thank you, Lord. Even your name, Emmanuel, is God with us, Lord. And God, help us to live in your presence and not to, to drift off and then come back and drift away from you and come back. Help us to live in your will and live by faith, knowing that you're with us, God. And I pray that you would give your people a great peace and a courage and a boldness in this hour, not a fear, not a fear of circumstances, not a fear of antichrist, not a fear of the one world government, not a fear of poverty, not, not a fear of persecution, not a fear of those things. Help us to trust, be still and know that you're God. The greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.